Amen. All right, well, you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. I'd like you to keep your place there and go with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 7. Keep your place there. Put a ribbon or a bulletin or a bookmark, something there, because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. But go with me to the book of Acts. You're going to go backwards past uh, 2 and 1 Corinthians into the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 7. Last week, we started a brand new series entitled The Blueprints of a Biblical Church. We're, start, we're spending about three weeks uh, looking at what, uh, what are the characteristics of a church, what a church looks like scripturally when it's patterned after uh, the Word of God and the principles found in Scripture. If you remember last week, we looked at two, two characteristics. We saw the authority structure of a church, the fact that Christ is the head, and then God has given uh, pastors and elders and bishops, there's deacons and evangelists if needed, then there is the flock, there's the, the group of believers. And we talked about the autonomy of the local church, the fact that the local church is to be self-governing. There ought not be anyone who takes, as soon as you've got someone who goes over the authority of the local church, whether it's a board of directors, whether it's a pope, whether it's a prophet, whatever it might be, you've lost the autonomy of the local church. The local church must be self-governing. And we talked about that last week, how that plays into the end times, uh, uh, the end game of the Antichrist. Uh, today, we're going to look at two more characteristics of a uh, biblical church, a biblically patterned church, and I want you to notice there in Acts chapter 7, last week we uh, started by, and I'm not going to go through that again, you can find that sermon online if you'd like, but last week we talked about the fact that the Bible identifies the word church, the Bible defines the word church as a congregation of believers, and we saw in Acts 7, in fact, if you look at verse number 38 of Acts chapter 7, uh, I'm not sure if I told you what chapter to be in, Acts chapter 7, and look at verse number 38, the Bible says this, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness, in the church in the wilderness, this is referring to the children of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness, and we saw how in the Old Testament they were often referred to as the congregation, the congregation, the congregation in the wilderness, here they're referred to as the church in the wilderness, why is that? Because a church is a congregation. That's what a church is. It's not a building. It's not a steeple. It's not stained glass windows. It is God's people coming together, congregating together. That is what makes up a church. Now, if you look at verse 36, I want you to notice a characteristic of a church that we see from this illustration given in Acts chapter 7. In verse 36, the Bible says, He, that's God, brought them out. I want you to make note of that, that term brought them out. In fact, if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline that phrase, brought them out. After that, he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, all right? Now, in the Bible, and I don't have time to, to go through this, you can study this out on your own if you'd like, but in the Bible, Egypt is always a picture of the world. They're always going down into Egypt. They're going into bondage in Egypt. It is a bad place. It's a picture of the world. The Bible tells us here that when God sent Moses, who, by the way, was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, when God sent Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt, out of the world, he brought the church, he brought the congregation out. Notice what it says. After that, he showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years this is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear. Notice verse 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Last week, I, I think last week I told you that we were going to deal with the 
idea of scripture and the Bible in regards to the church, I actually decided to move that to next week. We're going to talk about the Bible, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what it means to be a Baptist, because I, I don't know if you know this, but you're sitting in a Baptist church this morning, and a little bit of Baptist history, uh, you know, not, not a lot. Well, it'll mainly be out of the Word of God. But today I want to talk to you about this idea of, of, of separation and soul winning, separation and soul winning. Both of these are characteristics of a biblically patterned church. Separation, if you'd like to write down some statements, uh, point number one this morning is this. Separation is a characteristic of a biblical church. It is a characteristic of a biblical church. And we see there in Acts chapter 7 that God called the church in the wilderness. He called the congregation. Now, of course, the children of Israel were not a New Testament church. They were not a local New Testament church like the one that you're sitting in this morning. But they pictured the church, which is why he referred to them as a congregation. When God brought them out, the Bible says he brought them out and he called them out of the land of Egypt. Now keep your finger there in Acts because we're going to come back to Acts, but go back to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want you to notice verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. The book of 2 Corinthians was written, it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to the church at Corinth. Corinth, uh, uh, Corinth was a city and the church of, uh, uh, was assembled there, the church of Corinth. And I want you to notice what he says to them. 2 Corinthians 6.14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He said, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, usually when we refer to this passage, we talk about the fact that, uh, that you ought not be marrying an unbeliever. But, you know, that's not the only application. He says, don't get yoked up. Don't get yoked up with an unbeliever. I don't think uh, Christians ought to be doing business with unbelievers. I'm not talking about selling or, you know, you, you know you're going to make sure that the clerk at the grocery store is safe. I'm talking about, you know, where you're going to partner together and start a business with an unbeliever. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, whether it's marriage, whether it's business, whether it's friendships. Say, can I not be friends with, with an unbeliever? I think you ought to be friendly with unbelievers, but I think your closest friends ought to be people that are going in the same direction you are. They ought to love the God you love. They ought to be soul winners like, like you're a soul winner, Bible readers like you're a Bible reader. They ought to love the Lord the way you love the Lord. And he says here, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Notice what he says, for what fellowship? What fellowship hath righteousness? Now he starts to give us these these, these opposites. He says, righteousness with unrighteousness. And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Notice verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them. Now notice what he says. We make up the church when we come together as a body of believers we make up the church a congregation but it's not a building in fact he says your body is the building your body is the temple notice what he says in verse 16 for ye are the temple of the living god as god hath said notice what he says i will dwell in them if you're saved this morning did you know that god lives inside of you he said, i will i will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now notice verse 17. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, you ought to underline this word. Maybe circle this word. Notice this word in verse 17. The first word in verse 17. Wherefore. Wherefore. The word wherefore means for this reason. Because of this. Because of what? Because of the fact 
that I will dwell in them, because of the fact that I walk in them, because of the fact that I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, he says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. See, God says, because I dwell in you, because you belong to me, in the same, in, in these books, the first and second Corinthians, he says, know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. He says, don't you know that you are bought with a price? He says, your body belongs to God. He said, he purchased you, and then he says, wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And he's specifically talking to the church at Corinth. He's telling them, you need to come out. You need to be separate. Keep your place there in 2 Corinthians. Go to the book of Titus, Titus chapter number 2. If you can find all the T-books, they're all clustered together. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus. If you're going from 2 Corinthians, you're going to go past Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus. While you turn there, let me read for you from a familiar passage, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. You turn to Titus, I'll read for you from Romans 12. Paul said this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I want you to notice that Paul said, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That word holy means set apart. It means separated. It means sanctified. And I want you to understand, the only thing that is acceptable to God is holiness. He says, holy, accept them to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says this, he said, in case you're not sure what it means to be holy, in case you're not sure what it means to be sanctified, in case you're not sure what it means to be set apart, he says in verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And here's what I want you to understand. God expects His people and God expects His church to not be conformed, to not be patterned after, to not be like the world. He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Titus chapter 2. Let me read one more verse to you, excuse me. 1 John 2.16, you don't have to turn there. Make sure you get to Titus 2. 1 John 2.16 says this, for all that is in the world. For all that is in the world. He doesn't say some that is in the world. He doesn't say most that is in the world. He says all. For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now let me ask you this. According to that verse, is there anything that belongs to this world that belongs to God? The answer is no. For all that is in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. See, today we have many places that call themselves churches. You have many places that call themselves, you know, the house of God. They say we come together here. We gather together here as believers. But yet they've chosen to pattern themselves after the world. They'll say the world has a certain type of music. They have rock and roll music. They have rap music. They have hip-hop. They have, you know, whatever, soft rock, whatever it is that the world wants to listen to. They say, let's take that music and we'll just change the name, you know, instead of singing about your loved, you know, your, lo your girlfriend, you love her so much, or your boyfriend, you love him so much. Let's just talk about, let's just say how much we love Jesus, but let's use the same pattern of the world. Let's use the same pattern of the world. And listen to me, those churches are not following a biblical pattern because God says, don't be patterned to this world. 
See, when you walk into Verity Baptist Church, you know what you feel like you walked into? You feel like you walked into a church. But today, you walk into many churches today, and you're not, I mean, you're not sure if you walked into church or if you walked into a rock concert. You're not sure if you walked into a church or if you walked into a casino. I mean, you walk in and all the lights are off, and there's smoke, and there's spotlights. And, well, we got spotlights, but you know what I mean. And there's this, and there's that. Hey, you, you ought to walk into church and feel like you're in church. It ought to be different. People sometimes will mock at our church, or they'll, 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 they'll poke fun at us, and they'll say, when I walked into your church, I, I felt like I walked into, like, Little House on the Prairie. And that kind of offends me because I'm like, hey, we're way more fundamental than Little House on the Prairie. You know, we preach way harder than those guys ever thought of preaching. But listen to me. When people say that, they're like, I feel like I walked into like, I, I, I got took back in time. Hey, that, you, you, that's a compliment. You ought to come into church and feel like it's different. Because God calls a church to be separated. God calls a church to be different. God calls a church to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Titus chapter 2, look at verse 11. Notice what God said in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. By the way, I'm talking to saved people this morning. You know what church is for? It's for saved people. You say, do you, are you against unbelievers walking into church? I'm not against unbelievers walking into church, but, li- but please understand, the program of this church is meant for saved people, not unbelievers. We go out and minister to unbelievers on Saturday morning when we go out soul winning. We go out and minister to unbelievers on Thursday afternoon when we go out soul winning. We, go, we got people going out every day of the week around here, going out soul winning, knocking on doors, ministering to believers. We love unbelievers. We want to get them saved. And they're welcome to come into here, and we'll try to get them saved after the service. But this church program is not meant to help unbelievers feel comfortable. It's meant for the saved. It's meant for those who God indwells, who the Holy Spirit indwells. That's what the Bible teaches. For the grace of God, notice verse 11, bringeth salvation, hath appeared to all men, teaching us, notice, teaching us, denying ungodliness. See, today you've got a movement of Christianity that says, let everything go, let everything run. It's no big deal. No, no, God tells us there are some things we're supposed to deny, and he says you start with denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously. See that word righteously? You see the first part of the word righteously? You see how it says right? You guys are so judgmental. You know that God says there's a right way to live and a wrong way to live? I want you to live righteously and godly, notice, in this present world. He says, you live in this world right now. You live in this world where, you know, everybody thinks that sin is normal. Everybody thinks that fornication is normal. You can just go to bed before you're married. They think these filthy sodomite animals are normal, and you're just supposed to accept them, and you're just supposed to love them. Hey, God says in this world, in this present world, there ought to be a place where you can go, and it's clean, and it's pure, and it's holy, and it's separated. That's what a biblical church is. That's what a Bible-believing church is. There ought to be a place in this world where you can go and you deny ungodliness and you deny worldly lust and you can be righteous and godly in this present world. On Friday night, we had, uh, I forget how many, I think 19 or 20 couples, 21 couples here tonight, uh, and, and we, we ate together, we fellowshiped together, we had fun together. I mean, I don't know if they had I had fun. You know, poking, poked fun at each other, you know, whatever. We just had a good time. And you know what? There's nothing sinful. No one had to get drunk. No, no one had to go home and barf the next night. 
You know, no, no, no one had to wonder, you know, did I, did I accidentally cheat on my wife? You know, I don't remember. You, know, there, you can have a good time. And by the way, you teenagers, you young people, don't pattern yourself after the world. Oh, the only way I'm going to be cool is if I can be like, so you can be like all the losers out there? So you can dress like all the losers out there? So you can act like all the losers out there? So you can listen to the same garbage that all those losers are listening to? Hey, God called you to be different. God called you to live godly in this present world. It's called separation. See, I've never heard this. It's not preached a lot anymore. Because unfortunately, the Bible's not preached a lot anymore. It's interesting how when you start preaching the word of God, it kind of just messes with you. Look at verse 13. Titus 2, look at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might, notice, that he might redeem us. We like that, don't we? That he might redeem us from hell. But notice what he says. That he might redeem us from all iniquity. You know that God didn't just redeem you from hell. He also redeemed you from sin. That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself. Notice, and purify. What does purify mean? It means to make clean. Purify unto himself. A peculiar. What's peculiar mean? It means uncommon. It means unusual. It means different. He says, and purify unto himself. A peculiar people, zealous of good works. God has ordained that on this earth you'd have a group of people that were peculiar, that were different. Not a group of people that goes to church on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week acts just like everybody else. But that they would actually live differently, that they would actually act differently, that they would actually lead their lives in a different and peculiar way. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. You're there in Titus. You can go past Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 9. We're going to look at a lot of Bible references this morning, but it's amazing how much the Bible talks about this, just how many verse after verse I had to cut out of a sermon like this. Because today you'll never hear, you'll never hear the emerging church. You'll never hear the seeker-sensitive churches, you know, preaching about the fact that God expects you to live righteously, live soberly, live godly. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 you're there in Titus. You're going to go past Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Notice what God says through Peter here. He says, but ye are a chosen generation. Ye are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. And holy. You see that word holy? And a holy nation. A peculiar people. That ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called, notice, you got to underline this in your Bible, who hath called you out, who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God. Are you the people of God? I mean, do you want to be the people of God? I mean, do you want, if you've been saved, redeemed by the blood of Christ, you're the people of God. He says, well, here's the thing. You don't just get to be the people of God without coming out of darkness. He said, I called you out of darkness into your marvelous light. He, he says, he says uh, 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 verse 10 there, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Look at verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. You know what a pilgrim is? They, they don't settle. They're just on a journey. They're, they're, they're just, they're just, the word stranger means they're, I'm, I'm just a foreigner. I'm just, I'm just passing through this land. This whole, this world is not my home. That's why God says we got to live our lives. And today you got Christians, you got Christians that are so settled into this world. 
I mean, everything is about this world and the things of this world and the, and, and the love of this world. But listen, no, we are supposed to walk as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Look at verse 12, having your conversation. The word conversation is an old word. It means your lifestyle, having your conversation. Notice what he says, honest among the Gentiles. You know, you see, we want to preach, preach against the, the homos and preach against drugs and preach against alcohol, and I will do all of that, all right? Here in a few minutes, I'm going to. <laughs> Let me say this, though. You know that God expects us as Christians to live honest among the Gentiles? You know that Christians ought to be the best worker on the job if you're a Christian? You know that you ought to be the one that shows up early and stays late and doesn't steal from the boss? You know you ought to be the one that doesn't criticize the boss? You know that, you know, and people want to come to you and say, I, I think the boss, you know, you ought to just abstain from that. You ought to live honest among Gentiles. You ought to pay your bills on time. You ought to pay your bills on time. I know people don't, you know, I'm not going to say amen to that. Okay, whatever, I'll just say it again. You ought to pay your bills on time. You ought to live honest before this present world. You ought to not lie. You ought to, you ought to treat people with respect, or if you don't respect them, then don't do it behind their back. I'm just saying, God says he actually expects us to live a separated and different life. You say, well, everybody else does it one way. Then that's not you, though, if you're saved. And God called his church. God said, I'm going to bring out this group of called out believers to bring them out that they might live honest before God. Now, let me say this. Go, go back to 1 Corinthians. I, I think I asked you to keep your place in 2 Corinthians, but go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians. You know why most churches don't preach that you ought to pay your bills on time? You know why? Because most churches aren't paying their bills on time. That's why. Because most churches are living just like the world. Because most, most, most of God's people today, unfortunately, are lazy, liars, worldly. God, God says we ought to live differently. Let me, let me say this. The first step to separation is baptism. We're having baptism this morning after the service. You're in a Baptist church. The first, separation, the first step to separation is baptism. Are you there in 1 Corinthians 10? Look at verse 1. Notice, because remember, we were talking about the children in the, 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 the church in the wilderness, the children of Israel in the wilderness, the congregation in the wilderness. Look at 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I would not have you, uh, that sh- I would not th- that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Remember when they crossed the, 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 the Red Sea there? That all passed through the sea. Look at verse 2. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. See, that whole story of Moses, it's all a big picture. They, there, there were people in Egypt in bondage to the world. The Savior came. Moses, who pictures the deliverer, came, brought them out called them out of Egypt, and what was the first thing they did? They went through the Red Sea. And the Bible says that pictures, because they went through the water there, that that pictures, look at verse 2, 1 Corinthians says 2, and were all baptized unto Moses. They were baptized. But you say, well, well why is that? Go, go to, keep your place there in, in, in 1 Corinthians. Go to the book of Acts. I think I asked you to keep your place in Acts, or I don't remember where I asked you. Make sure you're in 1 Corinthians and make sure you're in Acts because we're going to go back and forth and I want you to be able to get to those quickly. Go to Acts chapter number 2. See, baptism identifies you. The children of Israel were baptized unto Moses. They were identified with Moses. They were identified with Moses. When someone gets baptized this morning, we're going to baptize a young man. He's going to sit there, um, uh, you know, uh, sit up right there in that baptistry and the water is going to cross his body. 
and that's going to picture the cross. And we're going to take him and we're going to dunk him underneath that water. That pictures the burial. And he's going to come up out of that water. That pictures the resurrection. When somebody does, when someone gets baptized, what they are saying, they are saying, I'm identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the children of Israel were baptized unto Moses. They were identified with Moses. But in the New Testament, when you get baptized, you get identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then guess what happens? Baptism is the step that initiates your membership of a local New Testament church. Are you there in Acts 2? Look at verse 41. Acts 2, 41. Notice what the Bible says. Then they that gladly received his word, that means they got saved, they received the word, they received Christ, were baptized. Notice what it says. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now here's what I want you to understand. There was more than 3,000 souls that got saved. There was more than 3,000 souls that got saved on the day of Pentecost. But there was only 3,000 of the ones that got saved got baptized. And guess what? Only those 3,000 got added to the church. Why is that? Because you get added to the church through baptism. You say, How, well, what does that have to do? Because here's the thing. The church, this church, every church is supposed to be a group of called out believers separated from the world. So when you get baptized, it joins you into the church. It's the step of separation where you, you're saying, I was once identified in the flesh. I was once identified with sin. But now I will be identified with Christ. And guess what? What's the body of Christ? We talked about it last week. The church. The church is the body of Christ. So to be identified with Christ means to be identified with the church. So look, if you're here this morning, you say, I haven't been baptized. I need to be baptized. I'm not sure if, if I should be baptized. You, you know, talk to, talk to me. Talk to somebody after the service. On these little communication cards on the back, you can check off saying, I'd like information. Maybe you're not sure if you need to be baptized. Because just like there's a scriptural church, there's scriptural baptism. The Bible teaches, I'm not going to get into it this morning, but the Bible teaches that baptism scripturally must come after salvation. So if you're baptized as a Three-week-old, guess what? You weren't saved when you were three weeks old, okay? You weren't even condemned, all right? The Bible teaches that children who die go to heaven. Babies who die go to heaven. They're not condemned. You know, and you say, well, you know, the Bible teaches that you're supposed to be baptized after salvation. The Bible teaches that you're supposed to be baptized by immersion into water because of the picture that we just talked about. You say, well, they poured water on me. That was a scriptural baptism. You don't find that in the Bible. The Bible teaches that it matters who baptizes you. Jesus has to be baptized by John the Baptist. People come to me all the time. They say, I was baptized at a Jehovah's Witness church. Are you a Jehovah's Witness? No. Well, <laughs> then why are you identified with them? You need to be identified with people that you agree. And look, none of us agree 100% on anything. I don't agree 100% with myself, all right? We, we get that. But you need to find people that you agree with, that you say, I'm going in the same direction they're going. That's what biblical baptism is. And it's the first step. It's the first step in discipleship. It's the first step in separation. Why? Because all those things mean the same thing. What is a disciple of Christ? Someone who's living a disciplined life. What does it mean to be disciplined? What does it mean to be disciplined? If you're disciplined with your, with your, with your eating habits, what are you doing? You're denying, right? You're denying certain things. Well, guess what God tells us to do? To deny ungodliness. Did we not read that? So we see that the first characteristic for a biblical church is the characteristics of separation. We ought to be separated. We ought to live differently. We ought to not be patterned after the world. But there's a second characteristic. Go to the book of Matthew. should be fairly easy to find. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter number 16. The second characteristic is that of soul winning. 
Now, soul winning is a term that we get from the book of Proverbs, where the book of Proverbs tells us that he that winneth souls is wise. Another word that people might use today is evangelism. It's this idea of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter number 16, look at verse number 18. We saw this last week, so I'm not going to dwell on it. I talked about the rock and Peter and all of that. If you're interested in that, you can listen to last week's sermon. But I want you to notice what Jesus said. Matthew 16 and verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. See, Jesus, Jesus says he's going to build his church. Building means it's growing. Building means it's expanding. Building means it's getting bigger. And look, I believe that a local New Testament church ought to be growing. If you're not growing, there's something wrong. If you're not growing, there's a problem. I mean, if you have a child who's not growing, there's, there's something wrong with the health of that child. You need to try to figure out what's, what's going on here. Are they sick? Is there a disease? The same thing with a church. You got a church? People tell me about that. I go to a church. I've been going to church for 30 years. There's been 12 members coming the whole 30 years. That's not a healthy church. If you're not growing, there's a problem. He- healthy people grow. You know, you, I mean, I, I grew till I was about 12, you know. And I don't know. I started drinking coffee and soda, and it kind of didn't help. But, but other healthy people grow, right? You know, Brother Aaron Thompson up in Vancouver, he was very healthy. He was like nine feet tall, descendant of Goliath or something. I'm not sure. Jesus wants to build his church. Go to, go, keep your place there in Matthew. We're going to come right back to it. Go to Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. A church ought to be growing. This church is growing. You say, well, it's not going to grow that fast the way you preach. Well, you know, it's growing. When we started six and a half years ago, we started in our living room with, you know, a handful of people. Started in our living room with two or three people. I remember my wife and I praying. It seemed seemed like years. It was just months, but it seemed like years. We were praying, Lord, will you ever allow our church to have double digits? Like, just could we ever have ten people in church? Like, wouldn't that be great? I remember after we got 10 people, my wife and I were just praying, Lord, will you ever, will you ever let us have someone come to church that drove themselves to church? Because at first, and there's nothing wrong with this, we still do this. We have a van that goes and picks people out to church. But at first, everyone that came to our church, like my wife and I went and picked them up. We got them saved. We brought them to church, you know. And we're like, wouldn't it be great if someone actually drove themselves, you know. And it's like, and, and you're saying you know, that those were humble times, right? Yeah, but here's the thing. Our church is growing. It's grown every year. God, God has blessed it. You know, could it grow faster? I don't, I don't know. You know that's, that's, that's up to God. It's not my, my, my goal is to be faithful in the preaching of the word of God and let God grow it as he sees fit. But I want you to notice that God wants his church to grow. Acts chapter 2, uh, look at verse 47. We were in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 just a second ago. Look down at verse 47. Notice what the Bible says. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord. Notice the Lord. Because it's interesting that Jesus said, I will build my church. And then in Acts 2, the Bible says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. See, the Lord added to the church. Go to Acts chapter 11, look at verse 26. You're there in Acts 2, look at Acts chapter 11. Acts 11, look at verse 26. Acts 11 and verse 26. Acts 11, 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. Notice, and taught much people. And taught much people. That's the goal. The goal of the church is to teach much people. The goal of a church is not to have people here for the sake of having people here. The goal of a church is to get people into this building. Why? That we might teach much people. 
And the disciples, notice, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. This church in Antioch is the first place that people called these believers. They called them Christians. Why? Because they lived a separated life. Because they lived their life in such a way where people looked at them and they said, these people are different. You know what these people remind me of? They remind me of that Jesus Christ guy. These are like Christians. They, they, they're, they're like Christ. Why? Because they lived a separated life. Go to Acts chapter 16. Look at verse 5. Acts chapter 16, verse 5. Acts 16, 5. Notice what the Bible says. Acts 16, 5. And so were the churches established in the faith. And so were the churches established in the faith. Notice what it says. And increased in number daily. And increased in number daily. See, there's a priority in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Lord's will that a church be a growing church, that it be reaching people. Now, look, of course, we, we have people leave and quit the church. I mean, any church is like that. Some of you aren't coming back. You know, that's fine. But, you know, it's like, that's why I got to preach it all right now. Well, I got you right here because you're not going to come back. So, but here's the thing. God wants his church to grow. And here's, here's what I understand. Not only does God have a priority for soul winning, but there is a program for soul winning. There is a program for soul winning. Go, go back to Matthew. I think I asked you to keep your place there in Matthew. Keep your finger in Acts because we're going to come back to it. Um, but go, go to Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew 28. I know this is review for some of you. But, you know, Paul said that to write the same thing to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And sometimes it's good to just hear the same things again and again. Amen. Be reminded of the things that the Word of God says. Matthew 28 and verse number 19. It's getting a little warm in here. Are you warm? I'm warm. Maybe we can just hit the, the error, guys, for a second. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Matthew 28, look at verse 19. Matthew 28, 19 is what's known as the Great Commission. This is, there's multiple places where the Lord gave the Great Commission, but this is probably the most well-known of them all. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Go ye therefore. Go ye therefore. And I want you to notice something, and I'm going to talk about it at the end of the sermon. But there are two things that God says to his church. One, he says, Come out from among them. But then he also says, go ye therefore. He says, come out. And he says, go in. He said, well, are those contradictory? And we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. But no, notice what the program for soul winning is for the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore. And number one, teach all nations. Let's talk about bringing the gospel to all nations. Now, we're doing our best to bring the gospel to Sacramento and to the surrounding area. And from time to time, we will send an evangelist to Guyana. We might send an evangelist to the Philippines. I don't know. We'll send them. We'll do what we can. But every local church is supposed to be doing their part to reach their Judea and their Samaria. And if we all do that, then we'll reach unto the uttermost part of the earth, unto the uttermost part of the world. And he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. And by the way, our church does have a ministry in that we get to impact our world. I mean, you know, I get lots of emails from people all over, uh, all over the world and Canada and different, you know, in Europe where they're listening to the sermons, they're getting saved through this ministry and through ministries, you know, and DVDs that we've uh, taken a part in and documentaries. All of that is working. We said, why do we do all that? For world evangelism. Take, spread the word of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach all nations. Notice, number two, baptizing them. Baptizing them. God commands us to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost as part of discipleship. You get saved, you get baptized. Notice verse 20, teaching them to observe all things 
whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Sometimes people say, why do you guys preach all these controversial things? Why do you got to preach about this? Why, do you, why aren't there just certain things you can leave alone? Why do you have to mention those things? Here's why. Because God tells me that I'm supposed to help you observe all things. Amen. Everything. Even if it's not popular. Even if it's not, you know, the Bible says be instant. In season, out of season, whether people like it or not. My job is to just preach the word. Now, there's a, there is a program that God has established. Because remember, you're in a Baptist church. And we're going to talk about this next week. But here, let me just give it the, the, the phrase I was taught as a child was this. When the Bible is a boss, you're a Baptist. When the Bible is a boss, you're, the Baptist, you're a Baptist. You say, what makes you a Baptist? Biblical authority. The authority of the word of God. Where we follow the biblical pattern and mandate set forth in Scripture. Go to, go to the book of Mark. Let me explain to you what I mean. Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 6. It, you know, I'm not trying to offend you if you're Catholic or your family's Catholic or whatever, but here's the thing. When the Pope is the boss, you're a Catholic. The, the Catholic Church teaches that the Pope sits in the place of God here on the earth. They teach that he is the, the, the vicar of Christ, that he speaks in the place of Christ here on the earth. When the Pope is the boss, you're a Catholic. When the Mormon prophet is the boss, you're a Mormon. The Mormon prophet speaks on behalf of God upon this earth. There is no Baptist that speaks on behalf of God upon the earth. When the Bible is your boss, then you're a Baptist. We're Biblicists. We mean, it means we pattern ourselves after the Bible. That's why we look at so much Bible. Every time you come to Mary Baptist Church, I'm having you flip here and I'm having you flip there. I'm proving everything that I believe from the Word of God. Why? Because this is the boss. The Word of God. So when it comes to evangelism, do we get to just make up whatever we want? Do we get just to do it however we want? No, no, no. We have to do it the way God says. Mark chapter 6. Are you there? Let's look at the pattern that Christ gave us. And again, I know this is a review for some of you, but it's good to hear it from time to time. Mark chapter 6, look at verse 7. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And he, that's Jesus, you can, you can read the passage in the context if you'd like, but uh, later, but it, the he is the Jesus. I want you to notice that. And he called unto him the twelve, that's the original twelve disciples, and began to send them forth, notice, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. You show up here on a Saturday morning, or you show up here on a Thursday afternoon, and we're going to gather together. We might hear a preaching from the Word of God. We might pray together, and then guess what we do? We partner you up, and we send you out. Two and two. That's what Mark 6, 7 says. Go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You're there in Mark. The next book over is Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, look at verse 1. Now, in Mark 7, he sent out how many? The 12, right? All he had was the 12. He started, he started the church there, and he had 12. Look at Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, the church has grown a little bit. I remember I used to pray, Lord, you know, once the church started growing a little bit, I used to pray, Lord, help us to have 12 soul winners. Lord, I'd love for us to have 12 soul winners. Just like you had 12 that you sent out, two and two. Help us to have 12 soul winners. And then, and, and, and then the church grew. This last week, we had 62 soul winners out in, from our church. 62 individuals that went out. Some of them went out multiple times, but 62 unique individuals who went out in partners of two into the community, knocking doors, inviting people to church, presenting the gospel. Luke chapter 10, look at verse 1. You say, Pastor, you're praying for 12. You got the 12. What are you praying for now? Well, look, look, look at Luke 10, 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. Now his church grew a little bit, didn't it? First he was having 12. Now, now he has 70. So guess what I'm praying for? 70 soul winners. 
Wouldn't it be cool to get up here one day, hopefully soon, and say we had 70 soul winners out in pairs of two and two, just like they did in the Bible, because we're Baptists, and we follow the biblical pattern. Luke chapter 10, look at verse 1. And after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also, notice, and sent them, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would go. So he sends out the 70. And people say to me, I thought you guys got that from the Jehovah's Witnesses. No, we got it from the Bible. But let me just explain something to you. Satan is the great counterfeiter. He will often take what God does and what God says, and then he'll counterfeit it. And he sends these cults out there to do the same. You know why? So that when we show up with the word of God, people are like, ah, I don't want to talk to you. Are you one of those Jehovah's Witnesses? No, we're Baptists. Oh, you're Baptists. Who's ever had that happen to him? Get out of here. I don't want to talk to the Mormons. Oh, no, we're Baptists. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I thought you were one of those Mormons. <laughs> Satan's a great counterfeiter. We didn't steal it from the Mormons. We got it from the Word of God. They actually stole it from the Word of God. But this is the pattern that God gave. He says, send them out two and two. He says, send them out two and two. But notice, he says, send them out two and two. Go to Acts chapter 5. Go to Acts chapter 5. Look at verse 42. He sends them out two by two or two and two. And then in Acts chapter 5 and verse 42... Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, the Bible says, And daily in the temple, and in every house, you see that? And in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. He says, daily in the temple and in every house. Now, we go to every house because they won't let us in the temple. <laughs> well, first of all, there's not that many temples in Sacramento. But, you know, we try to go soul winning in that Mormon temple in Folsom, and they won't let us in. So, you know, so we just go from house to house, you know. But in the Old Testament, in the New Testament here, they were allowing them into the temple. Obviously, it's a Jewish temple, and I'm just poking fun. Acts 20, look at verse 20. Acts 20, look at verse 20. But if you can get us into the temple, we'll preach it there too, okay? Acts chapter 20, if you can sneak us in or whatever. Acts, we'll preach it wherever they let us preach it. We'll take it wherever they let us take it. We'll, we'll go, and we don't need anybody's permission, we come through with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. People sometimes say, well, who gives, what gives you the authority to go out and teach people and tell them that they're going to go to hell if they don't receive Christ as their Savior? The authority comes from God Almighty God. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. So you say, well, what if they pass a law and says you can't go soul winning? My authority comes from God, not the government. Or do they put their little sign up that says you're not allowed to go soul winning? Hey, the authority comes from God. God is the one that gave us the authority. Acts chapter 20, look at verse 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 20. Acts 2020, often referred to as Acts 2020 vision. Notice what he says in Acts 20, and how I kept back nothing from you that was profitable. And by the way, that's my goal. My goal is to finish the ministry of Verity Baptist Church and say, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. Everything I knew, everything I learned, I taught it to you, I preached it to you, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly, that's what we're doing right now, I'm teaching, we're teaching publicly in a church setting, but then notice what he says, and, and from house to house. So here's the pattern set out in scripture for world evangelism, that local churches would reach their Jerusalem and Judeas and Samarias, and that they would do it in a systematic way by partnering believers in t by two by, and two, and going out from house to house. So what do we do at Verity Baptist Church? We, we have a map. We have maps where we gather together 
Saturday morning, I think there was 54 or something people that gathered together here on Saturday morning. We heard a great sermon from the Word of God. We partnered them into groups. We sent them out, and we systematically covered the area. And at Verity Baptist Church, we just decided we're going to do everything we can to knock every door in this area once a year. And back when we only had 12 soul winners, we were knocking every door in South Natomas once a year. Then we started having 30 soul winners, and we started knocking every door in South Natomas and in North Natomas every year. Now we have 60-some-odd soul winners a week the Lord has blessed us with, and we knock every door, or we do our best to knock every door in South Natomas and North Natomas and Arden and Del Paso. Yesterday we were in North Highlands. Uh, you know, I, 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 if I'm forgetting one, I may be forgetting one or whatever. You know, and, and you say, well, and we're just going to knock every door every year systematically, two by two. How's my house? One day, the Lord allows us to have 500 soul winners. I don't know. Maybe we'll knock every door in the county of Sacramento once a year. But we do it systematically. That's the plan that God gave us in the Bible. And that's the plan. And listen to me. You got to get plugged into that plan. You got to get plugged in. You got to come. And, and you say, well, I don't know what to say. We'll partner you with someone. We'll partner you with someone who knows what they're doing. You can be a silent partner as long as you like. And, but here's the thing. You start getting people saved. You, you start seeing people get saved. You know what's going to happen? You're going to sit there and say, I could do a better job than that guy's doing. And then we're going to say, well, try it. And you're going to try it. You're going to talk to someone. You're going to get them saved. And we're going to reach this community with the gospel of Christ. And, you know, at Verity Baptist Church, we do something a little different where we just decided we'll do as much as we can in one year, and then we'll start again. And we just, we just decided that this, this is our Canaan land. We're going to just, we're going to, uh, you know, saturate this area with the gospel of Christ. And, you know, I was talking to Brother Montel, and I asked him permission to use this testimony, so I'm asking him. I, he's given me permission to, to say this. I was talking to Brother Montel, and Brother Montel, Brother Montel was telling me, and I don't, I don't necessarily remember this, but, but he, he does. And Montel said that six years ago, when the church first started, I knocked on his door. I knocked on his door. He answered the door, him and his uh, nephew, right, Brother Montel, your nephew, who was recently here in church not too long ago. And I knocked on his door, and I presented the gospel to him, and he got saved. But he didn't come to church. And he kind of always thought about coming to church, but he, he just, you know, he lost the invitation. He didn't come to church. And, but he always thought about, man, like, man, that was great what they taught me. I'm saved now. I'm on my way to heaven. You know, but he just, he kind of forgot where the church was. We're meeting in the house, you know. So a year goes by. He moves. He moves from, uh, and I may be getting all the details wrong, and I'm, I'm sorry if I am, but he moves from South Natomas to North Natomas. A year goes by, and our soul winners knock on his door. And invite him to church. And he wasn't home. He wasn't home, but, you know, Lindsay got the invitation. And he's like, hey, that's the church where the pastor knocked on my door. Yeah, I want to go to church. But, you know, they lost the invitation. <laughs> and they didn't come. So guess what happened the next year? We knocked on his door again. I think we knocked on his door like five times. And then he saw our, our bench ad. And then he saw me on the news. Right? And then he comes to church. And they get plugged in. They're a great, faithful family in church. I'm just telling you, it works. If you, if, if you work the plan, the plan works. But today people say, ah, oh, that doesn't work. It does work. We just need help. We just need laborers. That's why Jesus said, he said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There's so many Montels out there. <laughs> and we want to reach them all. But we need your help. We need to get up to that 70 soul winners. And today you got people saying, well, I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm just gonna, I don't have to be connected to a church. No, you do need to be connected to a church. Amen. You need to be connected to the program of the church. You can't just do it on your own. 
The Great Commission is church planting and church work. It's not just some lone ranger out there doing whatever he wants. So we saw, number one, the separation. Separation is a characteristic of a biblical church. And then number two, soul winning is a characteristic of a biblical church. I told Brother Montel, it took us this long to get you here. We're not going to let you go. You know what I mean? You're stuck here now, whether you like it or not. <laughs> John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Go to, go to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 17. I'll be done here in five, ten minutes. I want you to notice something. Jesus said, come out from among them. The Bible says, come out from among them. But then Jesus said, go, go ye, go ye into all nations. He says, come out, and he says, go. Are those contradictory? And I want you to understand something. Those two concepts are not contradictory. In fact, they balance each other out. A balanced church is one that is separated, and a balanced church is one that is soul winning. A balanced church is one that comes out, and a balanced church is one that goes in. See, today there are churches and movements that are out of balance because some focus too much on separation and not on soul winning. And some focus too much on soul winning and not on separation. Let me explain to you. John 17, look at verse 14. John 17 and verse 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 17, verse 14. And I give them thy word, and I've given them thy word, this is Jesus speaking, and the world have hated them. And the world had hated them. I'm always shocked when Christians are surprised that the world hates us. When, they, when, when the world finds out what we believe. I'm so, I'm so shocked the world hates us. Why, why would that shock you? They crucified our leader. Why would it shock you that they hate us? And I've given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world. Because they are not of the world. Because they are strangers and pilgrims. Because this world is not my own. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Notice verse 15. I pray not. This is Jesus praying to God the Father. Notice what he says. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. See, today you got people who say, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find me some property out in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to go. I think, I think they've got, you know, uh, cheap lands of, you know, for sale in Waco, Texas or something. Brother Stucky's going to go find us some place in Guyana. Well, we're going to go and build us a fort, right? Because we're supposed to be separated, bless God. No, no, we're, not, we're supposed to be separated in our lifestyles. We're not Amish. We're not going to go live in some community somewhere and say, well, we can't be anywhere near the world. See, they're imbalanced. They're not balanced. They focus on separating themselves from the world. We can't be around the world. We can't be near the world. Let's go build a fort. Let's go build a property. Let's go get away. Let's not be anywhere near them. No, no, no. Jesus said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Now, this place ought to be separated, and your home ought to be separated in the sense that it's not like the world, but we ought not to physically separate ourselves from the world. Because, look, the focus of those who are separated... They're not balanced. When, when you make it this thing that I can't be anywhere near unbelievers. No, no. See, there's a balance in separation and soul winning. Separation and soul winning. Go to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. This is the last place we'll look at. 1 Corinthians 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse 20. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 20. There's another focus, though. 
where people get focused, and they don't call it soul winning, but they get so focused on soul winning or reaching people, they say, let's forget about, let's forget about separation. Let me, show you, let me show you what they say, 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse number, uh, let's see. Look, look at verse 22, 1 Corinthians 9, 22. And people will often say this. They'll, they'll read this passage and say, To the weak became I as weak, this is what Paul wrote, that I might gain the weak. And, and, he, and they'll say this, I made all things to all men that by all means I might say, uh, that, that, by, that I might by all means save some. So they say, see, Paul said, I, made, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And they'll say, see, we got to do everything we can to reach people. If it means getting their worldly music, if it means that the pastor gets up here. You know those churches where the pastor's like 54 years old and he dresses like a teenager? You know what I mean? He's got his little skinny pants on, and he's got his little, you know, tight T-shirt, and his belly is bulging out. And it's like, look, you're, you're old, man. It's not cool. We're not impressed. You don't, you know, just because you get young people clothes doesn't make you young. And, and, and they'll say, we just got to be like the world. It's got to be like them to reach them. Well, here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. Look, look at verse 20. Notice what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9.20. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jew. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law. But I want you to notice what he says. To them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. Notice that in parentheses. He says, I became like, like as without the law, but he said, but I was always under the law of God and under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. Now, isn't verse 22 in the context of verse 21? Doesn't verse 22 come after verse 21? To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Say, what, 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 do you, what is that talking about? Here's what he's talking about. He, he's saying, look, I'm, never, I'm always under the law to God. But to those that are lawless, in some ways I became lawless. You say, what does that mean? Here's what, I'll give you an example. If, if I'm out soul winning, and this happens from time to time, especially in this neighborhood. <laughs> you know, you knock on the door, and they open the door, and it's like, you know, it's like, obviously they're smoking something in this house. <laughs> right? You say, what do you do as a pastor? Well, I get on my phone, and I call 911. <laughs> no, you say, do you worry about it? I don't worry about it. To them that are, you know, that are lawless, you know, I just, I'm not under the law. But I'm always under the law to Christ. Amen. See, God never told me I got to rat somebody out because they're smoking pot. Now, am I going to smoke pot with them? No. All right? I'm just, let me make that clear, okay? That's the official uh, policy of our church. You soul winners. Well, I just, I want to I connect. No. Look, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. Well, see, here's what he's saying. Break whatever law you got to break to make them feel comfortable, but make sure you never break the laws of God. So when God says, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to live godly and righteously, then look, we follow those laws all the time. That's why the parentheses is there. Look, look at it again, verse 21. To them that are without the law, as without the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law. Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. Look, one day our church may start a Spanish ministry. I don't care what Donald Trump says. I'm not calling INS on anybody. I want to reach people with the gospel. 
Mexicans want to come here, let's get them saved. Hey, what I'm saying is this. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, though. But under the law to Christ, that I might gain them, gain them that are without law. And to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Look at verse 23. And this I do for the gospel's sake, for salvation, for soul winning, that I might be partaker thereof with you. And today you got liberal churches. Today you got liberal churches that say, let everything go. Don't worry about anything. It's fine. It's no big deal as long as we're reaching people. No, 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 no. It does matter. And you got independent Federal Baptist churches today. Independent Federal Baptist churches today are saying, let the homos in. We're not letting them in here. Bring them in. Bring in the pedophiles. Bring in the perverts. Bring in the weird. We got to reach them all. No, no, no. There's a balance. There's separation and there's soul winning. And, and you can't reach reprobates, by the way. Uh, you know, let me just throw that out there. But here's it. You say, you know, we're just going to turn this place into a circus so we can reach people. No, no. Look, worldly people are worldly people. They're unbelievers. They're on drugs. They're on alcohol. We'll be compassionate to them. We'll love them. We'll help them in any way that we can. We'll reach them out there. We'll bring them in here and help them get cleaned up. But this place is supposed to be separated. This place is supposed to be different. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Word of God says. See, there's a, there's a separation that is a characteristic of, of a biblical church. There's soul winning, which is a characteristic of a biblical church. And the reason I covered both of these in the same sermon is because both of these balance each other out. If you get rid of one, then you, then you become imbalanced. If you get rid of separation, then you let everything go. It's all about winning people. No, no, it does matter to be separated. But if you get too separated in order to reach people, then you end up, you know, drinking Kool-Aid in Guyana, Right? <laughs> You end up, you know, fighting the government in Waco, Texas, or whatever. And that's not God's plan either. So let me give you three action steps. Three action steps. Three, thing, three steps that you can take. Three steps that you can take today as a believer. Number one, take the step of baptism if you need to be baptized. If you need to be baptized and you haven't been baptized, quit putting it off. Take the step of baptism. You need to be baptized. It's the first step in identifying with the church and separation from the world. Get involved in the soul winning program of Verity Baptist Church. If you're not involved in actively become, being a soul winner, you need to get involved. You need to get engaged. That's the whole point of a church. If we didn't go out soul winning, we'd just be a social club. If we're not going to go soul winning, then let's just go meet at the bowling alley and, and bowl all day. You know, let's just go. Let's just, we're just a club. The point is to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, get involved in the soul winning program of this church. And then let me say this, learn to practice separation in your own life. There are things you know, there are things you know, and the Holy Spirit of God has been dealing with you maybe throughout the sermon or maybe longer than that. And you know God doesn't want me watching that movie. God, that music isn't honoring to Christ. The way I dress is patterned after the world. Or Look, whatever it is, learn to practice separation in your own life. And this is the, 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 the phrase that I often say. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Some of you are going to be, you're going to be all right during the tribulation. You have nothing to worry about. No one's going to arrest you for being a believer in Christ because you look just like the world. Learn to practice separation in your personal life. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for allowing us to be able to gather together to read these passages to learn from the Bible. Lord, I know that most of this stuff is not popular today. People don't want to hear it. But Lord, I do thank you that there is a group of believers in this community.
that wants to actively honor you with their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would please bless us. Pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live separated lives. And help us to balance that by actively soul winning, loving people, loving the world. In your precious name I pray. Amen.